0: last week and uh, probably stay behind this week too but let's turn over to second Kings we want to finish up in chapter 15 where we left off last week first Kings chapter 15 we were going to, we were going to look at ASA before we really got to ASA uh, time ran out. That begins in verse 9. And I don't... <clears throat> yeah, let's just, uh, I think we already read that. Well, let's just, for time's sake, we'll, we'll read and hopefully you've read it and uh, you are reading through it. And we'll try to explain what we see here. And it brings us down to verse 9, where Asa begins to rule in Judah. Remember, we're going back and forth. And uh, let me just uh, review from last week. We saw, as we're looking at these kings, which we'll continue to do uh, today, that God sees either the heart that loves and honors him, or the rebels who love themselves above all else. It doesn't matter what they're accomplishing on earth in their kingdom. Uh, and, of course, it, it applies to all of us. Uh, if you don't love the Lord, if you're not serving Him, then you're going to die in your sins, and it's it's going to be uh, of no value. And uh, so, and I thought Rick made a good point. If you were at the at the Bible study Friday, as he was uh, kind of looked ahead in Psalm 122, where basically what it says there is that the the, the wicked, uh, when they die, their plans. Uh, die with them. That's the end of their plans. Uh, what a stark, uh, and, and important verse to think about that. No matter what you've got going on, if you're, if you're not serving the Lord, uh, you can have all the pains you want to. When you die, that's it. And, uh, you'll be cast into hell. That'll be the end of you. You'll be outside. No one will be thinking about you. Maybe some living will be thinking about you for a while. But, uh, that's it. And uh, so the Bible is very clear, it gives us uh, so many times, explains these things to us. And we, uh, An example would be Abijah, who was uh, Rehoboam's son, who grew strong during his three years, but at the end of the day, he walked in the sins of his fathers before him, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father. That's That's the Lord's summary. So I don't care what they put on your gravestone, uh, it doesn't matter what man thinks of you. If God is not pleased with you, if you're not right with Him, then uh, that's, that's the uh, story. That's the end of it. And so we come to uh, Asa in verse 9 of chapter 15. Uh, there is one thing we, we see here, I might have talked a little bit about this last week, is that Asa is, is in a sense a fresh of breath air compared to many of the kings that we're going to uh, study, both in the uh, north and in the southern kingdoms. Uh, but he's got his faults. He's not perfect. But but what it, what we see here is that uh, Asa uh, was right in his heart in uh, verse 11. And Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as David, his father, had done. He was right in his heart. And that's what the Lord um, sees. As the Lord blesses him because of that. Uh, it doesn't matter what else Asa does. He was right in his heart. And yet we're going to see here that Asa had some some issues. And, and, and As I was studying this, it reminds me that we've got to be patient with each other. Uh You know, as, it, it, we're, as long as we're Christians, we're going to be sinners, we're going to do things, and we've, and we've got to accept that both in ourselves and others, not to bypass sin, not to make light of sin, but to realize that, that you can look out there at someone and you can see a Christian do some pretty bad things, some things that, you know, are very unfortunate. That doesn't mean he's not saved. It doesn't mean that uh, you can't treat him as a brother and, and, and work with him. And sometimes we get so judgmental that we kind of forget that. If somebody does something wrong and they, they we write them off. And of course, you know, in, in a culture that we call cancel culture, one mistake Often is the end of it for, for so many people. But that's not a Christian attitude. And it doesn't mean that there aren't consequences to sin. But we've got to be biblical about this thing. Godly. Remember that Jesus, God has forgiven us in Christ Jesus. He didn't just write us off. And he expects us to be uh, godly in, the, in these uh, matters as well. So he's a brighter spot in Judah's history. His reforms are from the heart. We, we talked, about, I think, this a little bit about last week. He got rid of the male cult prostitutes, sodomites. He got rid of his uh, mother's influence. He he uh, did not let family interfere with him doing what is right, which is a very important thing to remember. Um, because when we uh, serve God, but we serve only as far as it doesn't offend our family or if, if family takes precedent over doing what's right to serve the Lord. That is idolatry. That That is something that uh, the Lord will look down upon. And Asa doesn't do that. He's willing to remove his mother from the influence of the kingdom because she had brought in this idolatry. Remember, I think she was an Ammonite. And uh, so he removes her from that. And, and he did what was right. And for these things, that the Bible uh, upholds him as an example. Um, so... But yet, as we'll see here in a moment, he, he makes a couple of big blunders. So he didn't get rid of the, uh, one thing he didn't do is he didn't get rid of the high places, which was always kind of a, one of the litmus tests of how good a king was. He let those stand, which is kind of, you think, of well, you know, you, you got rid of your mother out of, 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 of pub, the public, uh, you know, influence. Why would you not get rid of those? Because some certainly did. And so it's a glaring inconsistency. And it's just a reminder, you know, sometimes we're inconsistent. We all have our inconsistencies. And uh, we need to be very careful about that and, and try to work on those things. But you can't let that be make, you know, be written off because of that. And Asa is not written on. He, he doesn't do everything right. We'll see one other thing that he does that's pretty obvious and pretty, uh, it, it really causes you to wonder what the world's going on in his heart. But that's okay. And so I'm not excusing sin. Uh, c- certainly uh, there are sins the Bible says we cannot overlook. But to continually, you know, just because someone falters to, uh, you know, judge them and to, to belittle them or to cut them off or something like that is not a godly attitude. We are to help one another and uh, to remember that we're no better. It's very easy for us to be easy on our own sins and hard on others. And that's kind of the point here I want us to see with Asa. Asa was a, considered a good king, even though he had some issues. And so, you know, I'm not saying that, that if, if we see a fault in a brother or sister that is detrimental to them, that is detrimental to others, that is important enough to make a, you know, the, the New Testament is very clear that you can't let everything go. But um, this doesn't mean, of course, certainly, that you're not saved. So uh, we got to be able to live not only with our own faults, which we do very easily, but with the faults of others. We don't want to be harder on other people than the Lord is, right? We got to understand how the Bible teaches us to deal with these things and to to, to do the best we can. Um, you know, trying to just finish up from last week. Uh, here's look over at Second Chronicles. Chapter 14, we'll see uh, where, one of the places where Asa really falters uh, a little bit here. 2 Chronicles chapter 14. And let's start reading in verse 11. <clears throat> and Asa cried to the Lord, his God. Oh, now this is when uh, a million Ethiopians, an army with a million Ethiopians came up against him, right? So, this is, this is a real, this is a real problem, a million people. And he cries out to the Lord, O Lord, there is none like you to help between the mighty and the weak. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rely on you, and in your name we have come against the mul- this multitude, O Lord. You are our God, let not man prevail against you. So the Lord defeated the Ethiopians, before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. Asa and the people who were with him pursued them as far as Gerar, and the Ethiopians fell until none remained alive, which, assuming that's to be taken literal, that's something, right? They, they, they actually killed a million, an army of a million. And so, um, for they were broken before the Lord his army. The men of Judah carried away very much spoil. And they attacked all the cities around And the fear of the Lord was upon them. And plundered all the cities. For there was much plunder in them. And they struck down the tents of those who had livestock. And carried away sheep in abundance and camels. And they returned to Jerusalem. So they were able to recoup some of the losses that Rehoboam had given away. Uh, the Lord restored much of their wealth, I guess, uh, to Israel. Uh, under Asa. So he's strong against Many, but again, the inconsistency is he's weak among a few. He did not get rid of the, the high places, which should have been something he could have easily done. Um, and, and so another thing we see in Asa is his willingness to purge out idolatry, even though, it is, as I said, Aminah well, was his grandmother, excuse me, not his mother. But it's a sign that your heart is right when you're willing to, to uh, break family ties, if need be. Um We we notice in uh no I wasn't gonna try I I mentioned this last week over in Second Chronicles fifteen that during his reign when people saw that he the Lord was blessing him, that many people from the other tribes, some of the northern tribes and others, moved to Judah and he was strengthened because they saw that the Lord was the true God. See that yet over in 2 Chronicles 15. If you want to read that, starting in verse 9. But, we see another battle here in verse 16 of our text, back in 1 Kings uh, 15. We see in verse 16, it says, And there was a war between Asa and Baasha, that is the king of Israel, all his during all his days, well, Baasha, Baasha reigned a large part of Asa's reign, so all the years that he was king, there was constantly fighting in the northern uh, tribes. And uh, at one point in verse 17, Basha, the king of Israel, came up against Judah and built Ramah, and he, that he might permit no one to go out or come out against uh, Asa, king of Judah. Uh, again, he probably, because his people were leaving his, the country, they, he kind of does his own little Berlin Wall. And uh Esau saw that though as more than just that, as as a, a, a as a kind of a, a threat to his kingdom. But notice here what Asa does. He he is strong as a million. What does he do? He goes to the Lord and the Lord defeats them, and that's the end of it. But look at here, verse 18. <clears throat> Asa took all the silver and the gold, so all the stuff that it, it, it that he had, had gained <laughs> with the Ethiopians and the plunder there, that were left in the treasure of the house of the Lord and the treasuries of the king's house, and gave them to the hands of his servant. And King Asa sent them to Ben-Hadad, the son of Briman, the son of Ezion, the king of Syria, who lived in Damascus, saying, Let there be a covenant between me and you, as there was between my father and your father. Behold, I am sending you a present of silver and gold, don't break your covenant with Basha, king of uh, Israel, that he may withdraw from me. And that that's what happened. And the Lord wasn't pleased with that. And that was always one of the temptations that the kings of Judah had was to make alliances with other nations. Instead of, you know, and again, so the Lord takes care of the largest army they will ever see. And yet he turns right around and he says, I need. To take the treasuries from the temple, among other things, weaken my country, weaken our service to the Lord, and give it to Him because I'm going to trust in man rather than the Lord. And yet, Asa is considered a godly man, a godly king. So, you you see this, and it, it, it should help us be patient with one another, and yet at the same time, see that inconsistency and say, no, that that's unacceptable. Certainly for a New Testament Christian, right? And so notice, back if you, again, turn to Second Chronicles, this time chapter 16. And we're going to see the Lord sends a prophet to him to uh, expose this hypocrisy. And Asa doesn't react very well to it. So, a little bit like Solomon, he doesn't end well. And this is, uh, just, it's sad. And it's, again, it should be something that we read this and say, you know, I don't want to be that way. You know, as I, uh, next month is my birthday and I'm getting a little bit older. Um, and, you know, I don't, I take those, more and more I take these passages in, in a personal application. I don't want to get to a point where I don't listen to the Lord anymore. I don't take the Word of God seriously or that I feel like I no longer have anything to do for the Lord. And so in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, begin reading verse 7, at that time, Hanani, Hanani, the seer, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army that were very, with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole world, the whole earth, to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. Well, that's a great verse, right? No matter where you are, if you're serving the Lord, the Lord is there and he's taking care of you. He, he, He's everywhere. This is a verse that lets us know the Lord is omnipresent. Right? Um, You have done foolishly in this. Or from now on, you will have wars. So he could have had peace, but he doesn't. In, in, his, in his effort, in his godless effort to avoid war, what happens? He, he's going to have war. A little bit like David in his uh, sin against family. Uh, the Lord uh, says you will never have peace in your family because of that. <clears throat> and notice this. Verse ten and Asa was angry with the seer and put him in the stocks in prison for for being faithful to just tell this. It wasn't his fault. It was a, he was telling you what the Lord had already said. But this is typical. You know, you you, you can't attack the Lord, so you attack the messenger. Uh, it puts him in prison for he was in a rage with him because of this. And Asa affected cruelties upon some of the people at the same time. So this is stunning. That that godly Asa ends really badly, rejecting God's word, getting mad at God, and taking it out on the innocent. Verse 11, the acts of Asa from first to last are written in the books of the kings of Judah and Israel. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa was diseased at his feet, and his disease became severe. Yet even in his disease he did not seek the Lord, but sought help from physicians. So, it's almost like he's doubling down. it's like uh you know he's he's mad at the Lord, and he's not going to do right, no matter what the Lord does to him and it's 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 really quite stunning uh here and so that's how he ends and uh then of course it's he slept to his father down in the forty first year of his reign, so these last two years were had a bad foot problem. They buried him in a tomb that he had cut for himself in the city of David. They laid him on a bier that had been filled with various kinds of spices prepared by the perfumer's art, and they made a great buyer in his honor. And yet he doesn't do well in the end. So I just think there's some things to remember. Uh we've seen it before, but uh it's just so so it's such an obvious lesson I didn't want to bypass this that, of, of not finishing well. Um, all right, so let's kind of move on. I think we'll skip the rest of this and get, kind of get to uh, our text today, our sermon today, which I've entitled "Let's Skip Ahead to Ahab." You say, "Well, why'd you name it that?" Well, if you're reading this chapter, verse, uh, chapter sixteen, you have uh, the accounts of uh, the the, the uh, kings after Rehobo- uh, after uh, Jeroboam, Elah, Zimri, uh, and Omri, before you get to Ahab, which will spend several chapters. And it would be kind of, you read, there's just a few verses for each one of these. You read them. They're wicked you pass on. And, you know, Ahab's the big story here. But the point of my message of the title is, well, not so quick, because there's some important things we want to see in uh, these guys as well, even though they don't have as much ink uh, as the next. <clears throat> and so this back and forth uh, between the kings of Judah and Israel are bro- is broken up here. Uh, we'll get to here in uh, chapter uh, really 17 when we have this confrontation between Elijah and Ahab. <clears throat> but for now there are four kings from Jeroboam to Ahab that are worth taking a look at. Uh one of the things is the fulfillment of prophecies. We'll see here in a moment. Remember Jeroboam, because of his idolatry, the Lord says, I'm gonna cut off your child's gonna die, your newborn is gonna die, and I'm gonna cut off your entire line. Well, that happens here with one of these kings. So we we don't want to just bypass that, but remind ourselves that when the Lord says something's gonna happen, it's gonna happen. And so all three of these kings reigned during during Asa's reign. Nadab, uh, here's, uh, which began in chapter 15, reigned one year and was killed by Beasha, who uh, reigned 24 years. Elah, his son, which we see in verse 8 of chapter 16, he reigned two years before Zimri killed him. And he got to reign a whole seven days before he realizes that people were not impressed with him killing the king in that coup. They really like uh, Omri, and uh, he realizes that they were going to uh replace him with Omri, so he burns a house down upon himself and kills himself, <clears throat> so he after seven days. Omri reigns twelve years and uh till he uh Ahab his son uh takes over and he reigns for many years and has this conflict with uh Elijah and Elisha. So Baasha, Fulfill the prophecies against Jeroboam, as I said. And this is really just basic theology 101. The Lord uses sometimes sinful men. This is sinful. Um, sometimes more sinful uh, than the one that he's punishing. He uses these sinful men to do that. And if we don't have time to... But if you go to Isaiah chapter 10, we've looked at this before. You read through that. The Lord says, I'm going to send the Assyrians... Wicked Assyrians to destroy Israel because of their sin. And then I'm going to destroy the Assyrians for doing that because they're doing it because they're wicked people. And so it's a a great understanding of the sovereignty of God and how he uses sin. And so as we read through the lives of these men who are all wicked, we're reminded that sin always has the same effect on people. You can sometimes sin with flair. You can do um, uh, some amazing things in your sin, but it's all sin. And some of these men, uh, did a lot of good physically speaking. Uh, some didn't. Some reigned long. Some didn't. But they all were apart, uh, lived apart from the Lord, so they all have the same uh, judgment. And so even though we can find some creative ways to hate, to abuse, to satisfy our own lust, In the end, it's all, it's the same thing. It's murder, lust, hatred, and so forth. So there's a sameness in the accounts of the kings of Israel. No matter what, who they were, they all walked in the way of Jeroboam. That's always the, that's always the final judgment of these men. No matter what they did, as I said, no matter what might be written on their tombstone of all the great things they did, uh, it's, it doesn't matter. And we need to keep that in mind. Uh, in verse 1, the, of, of chapter 16, <clears throat> the Lord, the word of the Lord came to, comes to a Jehu, Jehu, excuse me, the son of Hanani, not Jehu, who later there will be a king Jehu, uh, this is a prophet Jehu, and he uh, makes a prophecy against Baasha, saying, since I exalted you, it made you a leader over Israel and so forth, you've walked in the way of Jeroboam, and so I'm going to utterly wash away your house as well. You washed away Jeroboam's house, but I'm going to wash away your house. And so um, it's, it's and he says that the time's coming when you and uh, your uh, own the dogs shall eat. In verse four, uh, none of your anyone who dies in the city the dogs will eat. If you die in the country, the birds will eat you. So it, it's a pretty awful prophecy, unless you're a dog or a bird. But but again, don't miss the point. The point is, the Lord takes this seriously. You will serve Him, or you're going to answer to Him someday, and your end will not be good. And and you can say, well, that's the Old Testament. Well, you, you don't find anything different in the New. Uh, this is the same God. He doesn't he doesn't all of a sudden treat sin differently from the because uh, He doesn't change, right? Uh, and so, verse seven. What's what is, what's the reaction to this? Moreover the word of the Lord came by the prophet Jehu the son of Hanani, against Baasha and his house both because of all the evil that he did in the sight of the Lord provoking him to anger with the works of his hands and being like the house of Jeroboam and also because he destroyed it. So there's it. There's Theology 101. He was wicked so the Lord judges him and uh he destroyed uh, Jeroboam but he did it in by the way he didn't do it because the lord told him to do it he did it because he wanted to be king and he gets judged for that even though the Lord wanted him to do that the lord allows him to do that to just to uh judge Jeroboam and uh so it's, it's to me that's just very interesting it lets us know how the Lord sees all this um in mark 14 for the son of man goes as it for the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. So the Son of Jesus was going to do and it was going to end up being crucified on the cross because that's how it was written. And it's not because of what it was written of him, it's because the Lord had decreed that was going to happen, and, and of course recorded it for us in the Old Testament. So it was always going to happen, it was the will of God that He would be crucified. Woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would be better for that man if he had not been born. So the people who Judas and those who crucified Christ weren't doing it to honor the Lord, to obey God, of course. They're doing it because they were selfish idolaters. And so they're going to be judged. And so there's just this very obvious understanding of scripture and how uh, sin works. Another interesting verse here, Isaiah 47, starting in verse six. I was angry with my people; I profaned my heritage. I gave them into your hand; you showed them no mercy. This is a going back to like Isaiah chapter 10, where speaking to those who were used to judge Israel, you gave them no mercy. Um, on the age, you made your young exceedingly heavy. You said, I shall be mistress forever, so that you did not lay these things to heart or remember therein. Now therefore hear this, you lover of pleasures, who sit securely, who say in your heart, I am there, I am and there is none besides me, which is a very idolatrous thing to say, right? I shall not sit as a widow or know the loss of children. No, don't count your chickens before they hatch. Don't think that you, here's going back to what you were talking about with Rick and. the, Bible studies, you've made plans, you think this is going to happen, the Lord's got it. But other plans and his plans will stand. These two things shall come to you in a moment, in one day. The loss of children and widowhood shall come upon you in full measure, in spite of your many sorceries and great power of your enchantment. So, not only will the children be killed, but those who they trust in you, when you become a widow, it's, it's talking to a people, to a nation, The gods that you have given yourself to shall be destroyed, shall show themselves to be uh, of no value. You can kind of be abandoned by them, so you'll be spiritually widowed, you might say. But just astounding verses. And this, these kind of, these two verses have to temper many things. But one is that we need to be careful of wondering why the wicked seem to get a pass on trouble. And, uh, and are, and are, sometimes used to try, test us. You say, well, it's not fair. Remember that, that was, that was a back and soul thing. Why are you letting these wicked people chasing us? Well, someone's got to do it. And the Lord he uses that. He's, it's, He's God. He do what He wants to do it. And so that speaks to us. That reminds us that things are, when things don't go the way we want, that's Lord's doing. There's a purpose for it. If you're in Christ, of course, that it'll all work out for good. And, and, and helps us be patient. And gives us strength. God is behind all of this. <clears throat> the Lord uses. Even the. Uh, efforts. And the aims of the wicked. Uh, to do his will. But, but it'll all come back upon them. I was reading about a German U-boat. In World War One That sent a A torpedo. Uh, towards a, uh, I think it was an American, uh, ship. And they saw it coming. And just before it got to the ship, it, something goes haywire. It, it kind of comes up, it comes up out of the water, flips around and goes and, and, and sank the, uh, German U-boat. And it says, they didn't know it was going to happen. They, they, their intentions were evil. Uh, and, uh, it comes back upon them. And that's, that's obviously God, God's the one who would do something like that. We've got to be careful not to become more impressed or consumed with this fact than the point of all of that. The point is not, while it's, it's, a, it's a really interesting study of God's sovereignty and, and His counsels and how his, how his counsels get done many times behind the scene. The point is that sin displeases God and it will not go unpunished. It always has its consequences. And so, somewhere down the line, a substitute had to come and, and God had to redeem us from all this. Otherwise, it was this was going to be all of our sins. And so, one aspect, one doctrine is, is the secret counsels of God, which is good and interesting to study. But the other doctrine is something that we are to understand and proclaim to all. So, We gotta always make sure that we emphasize the gospel is what we are here to preach, but that we also then are give some insight into how the secret counsels of God works. And that's good for us to know as well, but don't become consumed with that. Maybe. Some of you are young enough to think that, you know, I've, I've got my plans laid out. I'm here to do what I want to do. And, and this these verses are telling us that it won't be worth it. If you reject the Lord and live for yourself, it will not be worth it. You know, if you haven't been listening or reading, if you still think that after reading these uh, passages, King after king does their own will and they all die and face the judgment of God. And so you got these, uh, starting in chapter 16, these three evil kings, very different in some ways, but very much alike in others. Elah evidently was a drunk, he was unfit to be king, and Zimri, you know, comes along and says, you know what, I can do better than him, and he kills him and proclaims himself to be king. you know, Ela's given I think seven verses. Zimri maybe a few more. But at the end of the day, all we all we know about Ela is that he could party. Um, unfortunately, uh, that's all that could be said of, of the last few generations. That they, they know how to party, they know how to be hedonist, but they don't know the Lord. And uh, it's not going to be any different for them. Uh, I was reading about Charles the Eleventh of Sweden, which would have been towards the end of the 1600s, who was a very uh, stern and uh, not not much of a king, from what I understand. But I guess he was king by the time he was 16, and he was just a hooligan and you know completely spoiled. And his sister was going to marry a, a another young man from another country. He came over. Uh, for that, and they, they were a similar age, and they were, I guess, just would run through the streets, causing all sorts of havoc, uh, whether at, at, in the palace or out in the streets, just being hoodlums. And, uh, finally, uh, I think three different preachers decided to preach on, on one Sunday, and one of them, I guess, the, Charles was there for one of them, on Ecclesiastes 1016, which Says basically woe when your king is a child. And it took him, it took, he took that to heart and, he, and it kind of helped him straighten up a little bit, uh, because he was, uh, just causing all sorts of problems uh, for the kingdom in, in his youth and, and you know, he, he, he could drink, just like Eli, you know, he was a drunk, you know, he could drink, he could party, um, you know, but the problem is, uh, at the end of the day, he didn't have any, there was no good qualities. And so, you know, you can look up what he did. You can go on the Internet and find about it. some of these men. I'll look at, at Armory here in just a moment. He did a lot of good for his country, but he was an evil king. He reigned for 12 years. The north became probably as powerful as it ever got under his reign. But it doesn't matter. Because the Lord it, the Lord has forgotten all that in a sense. It, that means nothing to him. He's unimpressed with the okay, fact. Maybe you're good at sports, or you're good you know, you can do good in trivia, or whatever it is you can do. Uh it's, the Lord is not impressed with that, and that's kind of what we're seeing here. And uh Zimri down in verse nineteen is interesting because he is held for the same sins and punishes. Some of the others get own, he, 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 uh, he he punished Elah for his sins, but he commits his own set of sins and he only is given seven days and that's interesting because it, it, he evidently wasn't a drunk he had he, you know he didn't he wasn't impressed with Elah and yet he gets less time than some of the other ones who seem to be worse kings. And that's something to think about. In other words, you cannot look at someone by how long they live and how much the Lord might bless him or not. And say, well, that's not fair. You know, Zimri didn't get years to repent. Well, maybe that is because the Lord knows it doesn't really matter. Uh, whether he's going, No one's going to repent unless the Lord gives them repentance anyway. But it would appear that seven days of not calling upon uh, the Lord to repent is long enough and inexcusable to God. Because he gives him seven days and then lets him die. And so not doing what you know is wrong or not doing what you know you should be doing is guilty. Whether it's for a day or for a year, it doesn't matter. In the Lord's eyes, remember, He a thousand years is a day and a day is a thousand years. Once is too much. So, again, you keep seeing how the Lord looks at all this. Omri, though, in verse 21, gives us another way to look at all this. Because, for by all accounts, from a political viewpoint, he was a good king. Typically, the writer of 1 Kings points out that It was his relationship with God that determines whether he was successful or not. Uh, But we see here, as you read Omni, let's let's just read, starting in verse 21. When the people of Israel were divided in two parts, half the people followed Timbi, the son of Ganath, to make him king. This was after Zimri died. There was another guy who thought maybe he would take advantage of this. And some of them followed him. And half followed Omri. But the people who followed Omri overcame the people who followed Tibni, the son of Ganath, so Tibni died and Omri became king. In the 31st year of Asa, king of Judah, Omri began to reign over Israel, and he reigned for 12 years, 6 years he reigned in Tirzah. He he bought the hill of Samaria from Shimner for 2 talents of silver, and he fortified the hill and called the name of the city he built Samaria after the name of Shemer, the owner of the hill. So that's where Samaria, that became the capital of the northern kingdoms, was established with Omri as he began to strengthen the um, country, but verse 25, Omri did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and did more evil than all who were before him. So there's a, there's a progression almost continually in northern Israel of being worse than the last one, which is not unusual. For when, when, when children aren't taught the word, aren't, aren't made to understand God, they are usually worse than their parents. Now, it doesn't always work that way, and God can arrest things, but one generation that is allowed to do what it wants to do, usually outdoes the last generation, until the Lord resets countries and societies sometimes, but that's kind of the way of the world very often. And so, he walked in the ways of Jeroboam, and for his sin which he committed, making Israel a sin, Now, the rest of the acts of Zimri and the conspiracy that he made, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? And if you go over and read. um, No, I'm sorry. sorry. I was reading. I read the wrong thing here. Let me go to verse verse 25. I was reading up earlier. Um, Omri did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did more evil than all who were before him. For he walked in all the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. And in the sins that he made Israel to sin, provoking the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger by their idol, idols. Now the rest of the acts of, of Omri that he did, and, that, and the might that he showed, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? And Omri slept with his fathers and was buried in Samaria, and Ahab have his son reigned in his place. So again, if you go to the Chronicles, the, the, the book of Chronicles, the uh, second Chronicles, you find out that he was a mighty he was pretty strong, so he's interested in that sense. Um, <clears throat> kind of lost my place here a second. Yeah, he uh, is said, especially if you uh, read in some secular histories, he humbled Moab for many years. He uh, made alliances with the Phoenician, which is probably why Jezebel was the, made the became the wife of his son because he was close to the Phoenicians. Uh, the Phoenicians spelled, uh, prosperity. They were commerce experts. For the next hundred years, the Assyrians would call Israel, the northern tribes, the house of Omri. He he was a strong, very good leader. But none of this is of interest in the Bible. You can look it up in secular works, some of it, you know, a little bit in the Chronicles, but a lot of it in secular works, and you can learn about the great achievements of some of these men. But there's no record in heaven. All we learn about is the sins that they walk in. Because this is what the Lord sees. So he wasn't some stupid drunk like Elah. He wasn't uh, pleading in his success like Omri. Um, who was inconsequential. No. But he did not know what was important. And we, we, we remember this in Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like the treasure hid in the field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who sells a search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of God, which is basically salvation, once you realize how you are saved, how your sins are forgiven, uh, nothing else matters. That becomes your pursuit. You gladly give up anything for what you know is of lasting value. That's what, that's what salvation is. Salvation is not walking an aisle when you're five because uh, someone t- uh, told you to. and making Or even when you're older, making some profession and then living like Christ has no value. But the world is all that matters, right? And that's there's so many... Um, People out there, in fact, it's something we're, we've been discussing here in one of the Bible studies ago, go to. Uh, John MacArthur was, was, uh, attacked and, uh, suffered, I wouldn't say suffered, but he, he, uh, people didn't agree with him. He wrote those books about the gospel according to Jesus and the gospel according to the apostles, making that very point. When you are saved, you become a father of Christ. You, you are saved when you repent. And you turn to Christ and you live differently. And if you think that salvation is merely saying, I believe that Jesus died for me. That's all there is to it. You're you're fooling yourself. And he's absolutely right. But a lot of people don't want to hear that. They say, well, that's adding works to faith. You're not adding works to faith. That's how the Bible defines salvation. You, You become a changed person. It's not that you just have to believe some facts and you can go on and do what you want to do, right? <clears throat> so there should be no pursuits or preoccupations that we consider to be more important than the Lord Jesus Christ. Someone said it's that the passions of these kings and, and people like that only draw a yawn from heaven. Well, I think there's a sense in which that might be true, but I think that God is saying is is not telling us that He's not interested in what these the evil people do, but He's letting us know how He views it, what their end will be. So He's not He's not pleased with it. He's not impressed by it. But uh, He's He it doesn't mean He's yawning because remember there's going to be judgment uh, at some point. And so finally, in verse 26, uh, back in uh, Chapter 16. He um, says that these sins that he made that were like Jeroboam, he provoked the Lord. Sometimes the word provoking the Lord is used. It's the same word that is um, back in First Samuel chapter 1. Talking about Hannah and her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and could, would not eat. So the other wife um, of, of Elkanah would provoke or would just, you know, make fun of her and, and, and you know, provoke her. Okay. And it's the same word. That when you live for yourself and you feel, when you trust in idols, whatever it is, you're provoking the Lord. And just like Hannah wept bitterly, you it's a different situation, we understand that, but, so the Lord doesn't take it lightly. It's a, it's provoking Him. Is it? So be careful because our culture makes light of sin. That these sins are okay, the Lord loves everybody equally and all this kind of stuff. Well, well, you but if you're provoking Him, shouldn't you make sure people know that? That, that this isn't okay, you're provoking the Lord. And this is what he's going to do to those who you're provoking. See, that's the truth. And, and uh, we, we can't cover that up because we're not doing anybody any service. We can't trivialize sin. <clears throat> Remember, some years ago, uh, Governor uh, Huckleby mentioned that one of the little starlets out there, uh, he, he suggested that her having a baby out of wedlock was not a good thing. And oh, my. Uh, For a while, everybody. Who are you? Well, he's just telling you what the Lord thinks. It's not good to have children out of wedlock. Uh, There's, there's, it's disobeying the Lord, and it's, and it's not good. It's, it's, it's just not a good thing for several reasons. But the world doesn't want to hear that. So flipping attitude towards sin is a result of an attitude similar to that towards the Lord, and we don't want to be part of that. Um, just like I was reading about a uh, <clears throat> jury in Kentucky who had to decide whether this twenty-eight-year-old was guilty of murder, and they couldn't, they couldn't come to an agreement to you know, a unanimous decision, and so they decided to flip a coin. And it, and it, as it turned out, it, it, he was guilty because they flipped a coin. And when the judge heard about it, he, said, well, he, he threw out the case. He, you know, no, you can't do that. That's it's you can't. Uh, be that flippant over this thing. This is too important, and there's a lot of churches out there who've gotten flippant. A lot of Christians who are flippant over these things, and are trying to excuse sin, no, ma- no matter what it might be. <clears throat> and, and so we got to be careful that we don't get caught up in all that. Um, what? How does the Lord see this? You know, we've got you know TikTok and. YouTube and, you know, all the social media. And it's it's just people drawing attention to themselves and what they can do and what they look like. And, and it's just so blatantly, uh, you know, catering to pride, you know, a lot of these things. But, you're, you know, you're, you're trying to draw attention to yourself but not to the Lord. And all we're doing is provoking the Lord. Because life is learning how to honor Him, not how to get people to like you. And to be impressed with you, and so that's why I, I entitled this as I did, because before we run off and study a, Ahab and Elijah, which will be very interesting and important, let's be careful that the, this chapter sixteen is there for a reason. The Lord didn't just put it in there for no reason. And while it's historical data, there's very, there's some pretty obvious spiritual lessons that I think we want to. Uh, Make sure we understand before we move on. Any questions or comments then? Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this time together, for the word of God. And Lord, how interesting it is. Even these details that are easy to pass over, to uh, not read very carefully, Lord, are full of very important, life-changing uh, eternity, uh, having to do with our very eternity. That we don't want to just pass over, but to, to think very carefully about. And Lord, if there's someone here who does, has not trusted in you as their Lord and Savior and has bowed the knee to Christ that you would, uh, make them realize that, open up their hearts and minds to not go another day without their sin being taken care of. We ask in Jesus name we pray. Amen.